Welcome to the first episode of the Game Production Podcast, where game developers talk about how they are taking their creative vision to market. I'm your host, Riyad Jimili. I'm a game developer since 2007, and I worked on games like Curious Exposition 1 and 2 and Spec Ops The Line. I worked in the AAA industry and also in the indie world. And I'm also the co-founder of the Codex Company. In this podcast, I ask other game developers how do they manage their projects, how do they deal with creative conflict, how do they finance their games. This is the podcast about the production and business side of turning a creative game idea into a shipped product and building a sustainable career. In this first episode, I'm talking with Jan and Daniel from Megagon Industries. They just released a game called Lonely Mountains Downhill, a minimalistic bike racing game available for PC and consoles. They are a three-person team based in Saftladen, our co-working space for indie game developers here in Berlin. So I'm here with Daniel and Jan from Megagon. Would you like to introduce yourselves? What's your position in the company? Yeah, I'm Daniel. Together with Jan, I founded Megagon Industries six years ago. I'm mostly doing game design and level design stuff, a little bit of UI programming and also like business organization stuff shared together with Jan. Yeah, I'm Jan and I'm mainly working on programming, uh, but also shaders, animation, lots of different tasks. Cool. Our company is pretty small, so just three people, so in the end we have to share a lot of tasks. Yeah. Everyone wears a lot of hats. Tell us a little bit about your company. So you already said how old it is. Is this, uh, how many games have you done? Is this your first game? So we founded Megagon Industries in 2013. Um, and at the beginning we were all freelancers at that time. So Megagon was more or less um, a legal entity for our hobby or pet projects. Um, so the first game we did was And Then It Rained, um, a premium mobile game which was released in 2014. And um, we mainly did that on the site and it was kind of experiment. Um, it, was, it was surprisingly successful and um, the reason why we kept on going with Megagon Industries. We did another premium mobile game called Twisted Lines in 2016. Um, in 2017, we started on our biggest project, uh, Lonely Mountains Downhill, which um, over time turned into a PC and console game, and that one was released last year in October. So you did like two mobile games before, now you're doing, like you said, like a full-blown PC uh, console game. How did that came about to be? Did, were you like dissatisfied with the mobile market or what drew you to a new market? Actually, in the beginning, it was a mobile game for, I don't know, the first year or something like that, or half year. Um, it was basically a mobile prototype, but the feedback was really, really positive. Uh, feedback we got from social media and showing at um, game dev events here in Berlin. At one point I connected a controller and just tried out uh, other controls and the touch controls. It felt like, yeah, that's, that's the way to go. So. Did you kind of stumble into the project uh, or like how dedicated were you from the start? Was it just a side project to, to test out or how? at what point did you know that this is the one we're going after? I think there were two, two major events. One was showing the GIF on Facebook and getting a lot of positive feedback. And the other one was kind of, I think we visited Ludicious and talked mm -hmm. a lot about what our next project should be. Yeah. And Yeah, yeah we, we, actually, we had actually had a, a, another prototype also at that time, which was a local multiplayer um, rocket game, very different. 
And we talked a lot about what project we should do because the, the rocket one was way smaller mm. and it was kind of not finished finished but it would probably been not that much of a development time to finish it but one of our um, learnings from the project before that twisted lines was that no matter how small a project is you need time to release it properly and to do mm. the marketing and we knew that we actually wanted to do the bike game, got better feedback, it felt like something very special. So finishing the other project first would have meant another project which would create effort and work and everything. So we actually decided against that and um, went with the biking game. And then it kind of grew, like we got state funding here in Berlin from the median board, which allowed us to work on the project full time. So we quit our freelance jobs at that time, took a lot of our personal savings together with the funding from the Medium Board and started working full-time on it. And then we did a Kickstarter campaign, so I don't think it was all planned from the beginning. It kind of evolved and got bigger and bigger and bigger over time. So I think when we started, we thought about maybe a year of development or one and a half years. It turned out well, another three years mm. until it was finally ready. Yeah. So Even the game we promised during Kickstarter was way smaller than it turned out in the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, that one of the first um, big points or important events in the development w uh, was like it basically going viral on, on social media, right? Mm -hmm. how, how long did you work on the game until that point? In total it was roughly a year, I think, mm. but I didn't work full-time on it. It was mm -hmm. a side project, working every now and then, sometimes on the weekend, sometimes in the evening. Mm. But... Um, It's it's hard to say how many how many days I spent on the on the prototype mm. until that point. And you talked about so about freelancing. So at, back at that point, you did a lot of work for hire stuff, yeah. which you don't do now anymore, right? Yeah. No. Now we're <laughs> we're working uh, full time on Lonely Mountains since yeah beginning of 2017. Mm -hmm. um, so you're living the dream, kind of. <laughs> yeah, 150%. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how was that transition? Was it hard to get out of uh, freelance stuff and like transitioning into like, full-time uh, working on your own stuff? Or was it mm, easy? It was easy once we figured out the funding. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was, uh, it was a bit tough. But I don't really miss the freelance work at the moment. No, me too. <laughs> yeah, um, I think they're both not really the guys who want to do work for higher stuff if they can avoid it. Um, I mean, it, it is more fun definitely to work on your own projects. I mean, there are benefits of working for hire because you can jump from one project to the next one quicker. You don't have to go through the whole bug fixing, finishing yeah. up phase of the game, mm. uh, yeah. which is a good thing. The payment is better. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, was the work for hire in related fields? Was it? Could you take uh, stuff that you learned there to your current work? Yeah, I would say so. It was not only games, but um, I worked a lot with Unity, mm. Unity development, but also I don't know for events, uh, shows, stuff like that. Yeah, I worked as a freelance game designer, so could take a lot of the learnings. Um. I worked on Ivan Online before, um, working on Lonely Mountains as for UI and interface design, and that was also good learning. Yeah, I can see that. So, how did you come up with the idea? 
So it was mostly creatively driven by you, Jan, at first, or the initial. I mean, we get different stories. We tell. <laughs> 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 we're actually not really <laughs> sure anymore how the whole thing started. <laughs> one, one thing is, Daniel had an idea for an um, off-road truck uh, game on a stylized minimalistic mountain. We both played um, ET skiing mountain, like a mobile game, mm -hmm. which had super satisfying minimalistic controls, and I kind of wanted to try out a game which has this kind of satisfying controls. Hmm. So I picked up the, the off-road truck game oh, idea yeah. and replaced the off-road trucks with bikes. Which yeah. was a very smart decision. <laughs> <laughs> But well, this wasn't really planned, it's just, I like, I prefer bikes, that's simple. Right. Um, and from that on evolved, um, it was never a plan to make a big game out of it. So let's talk about the exciting stuff, the project management. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally! <laughs> so, uh, do you have a structured process or how, tell us how you work in general? So do you work off a task list or do you uh, work spontaneously from week to week or with milestone sprints, scrum, kanban, all, all that <laughs> stuff? Um, so be because we are only three people, oh, let me start differently, we, we tried a lot of stuff over the years. We tried Jira, we tried different things, um, having boards with uh, post-its on it. None of that really worked for us. Um, and I don't think it's it's a failure of the tool. It's probably, a, it's probably our mistake. Because every time something destroys our planning, which happens all the time, like there's a new event coming up, You got invited to a showcase, you have to build, you make a new build for something. Um, I don't know, features get differently prioritized because for whatever reasons, this whole planning goes to shit and we don't have the time to always clear up our task list and to rewrite everything again. Mm. So we always ended up in this, this point that we have this big backlog of stuff which isn't up to date anymore. Mm. And when that happens, we kind of like move on, move on, <laughs> and just let it be and move on to the next tool where we can start with a clean task list again. Um, so we, we're pretty bad. But one of the things I believe is um, whatever we plan, we cannot change anything. So like we know what we have to do to make the product finished and there isn't, we cannot shift anything around. We cannot add additional resources. We cannot, there's really no freedom in project management for us. We just did this fixed amount of work we have to do to finish the game. And if the planning doesn't work or if something else happens, then we have to either decrease the quality, which no one wants, or the quantity, which at some point isn't possible anymore. So in the end, we, we have to increase the production time. Um, and that's why I think like slowly we went from one year of development to three years of development, because every single step made sense for the game. There was no way for us to kind of like do it with other people or anything. So um, it's really hard to plan when there is no flexibility in your company. We're not good at it, but I also think it really doesn't matter that much for us. Yeah, I think one thing which drove the whole development pretty much was the constant, constantly showing the game at events because we always had the next event coming up and we had to finish something. I wanted to show a new mountain, a new trail, a new feature. 
and this kind of made up our our schedule, our milestones for at least a long part of the development. Yeah. Yeah, and probably the Kickstarter campaign was a big one where you had to like deliver something for at a fixed date. Yeah. yeah, more marketing materials basically. That we didn't spend that much time on development. I mean, we released the demo during that time. But which wasn't actually planned. Like, it was a spontaneous decision during yeah. the campaign to do it, and it was a lot of work. Um, which, like, that was also a bad idea. Um, you should definitely have your demo prepared before starting the Kickstarter, and mm. not doing what while you're in it. Um, it worked out well. Yeah, um, I think. I mean, of course, we did some planning for the funding, the medium bot funding, which also isn't really true anymore, but it seems it's not a problem for them, because it turns out we're not the only ones who fail their planning. Um, now, like for new projects, now it's kind of like, okay, can we learn something from the past? I think our biggest learning at the moment is that we have to have bigger buffer times, so just mm. more knowing that there is all these kind of uncertainties, we just have to make room for them, the planning. Is there something, looking back, where you think, oh, that was like, um, wouldn't say like a mistake, but like a detour <laughs> stuff where you like, in a perfect world, you could have finished the game quicker, or was it just like, it took this much time, you just didn't know in the start? I mean, there are a few decisions we made, like in hindsight, I'm not sure if the, if the cost-benefit factor is good. They, they are good features, and they... People like them, but the amount of work that went into them, I'm not sure if it was worth it in the end. Like, we have these big open world mountains, um, which is really nice because you can see like other tracks in the background and you get a feeling for this whole mountain. Um, but it was so much work to make that performant, to put that on all the consoles. Maybe in hindsight, we could have also just done single trails. Um, because then there wouldn't have been so much work to make it all performed in the end. So I think it's a good feature in the game. I'm not sure if I would do it again that way, because it's just also like our Unity scenes are extremely big, loading times, saving times, making a build, all that stuff. Maybe that could have been more efficient. These mountains are basically like your levels, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how did you produce them? Did you create one after another and then you were like, this one is completely done, now we start prototyping the next one, or did you work on them in parallel or all at once? So basically Daniel and Noah worked on the mountains, and um, Daniel did the, the rough layout, well not that rough, um, but uh, Noah then went over the mountains and placed all the decoration, all the details, mm. so that could happen in parallel, or after Daniel finished his part. But we didn't go. We didn't start all the mountains in parallel. Mm. So uh, it was a bit one after another, I would say. Yeah, I mean, also like over time, we had a when we started with the game, we had a completely different approach to the terrain system and how we made mountains. So at the beginning, there were like these single unity scenes which got loaded one after the other, and then at some point, we noticed that just creating these levels. Um, jumping between all these scenes, making sure that each scene is seamless with the next one, um, wasn't that good of a pipeline. So mm. we wrote our own terrain system, which just happens in one scene, so you can work on the mountain everywhere without reloading or doing anything else. Mm. Um, 
but that also meant that we threw away two whole trails which were still done with the old terrain system. Um, we had another mountain or another trail which was really bad. We threw that one away. We redid one or two trails completely um, during the development. But the thing is like it was all a learning process. So without doing the first two trails we wouldn't have been able to come up with the way better terrain system mm. and the new trails. So although they're not part of the game anymore, I think it was an important step to create them at some point. Um, I mean it's it's a little bit strange that you know that there's something you build and you put in a lot of work and it's just not there anymore. It's just like erased out of existence mm. but um yeah i think the learning is was worth it were there also features that you had to cut or that didn't work out like that were like considerable amounts of work yeah i remember one big session where i cleaned out code like lots lots of old stuff lots of old features mm -hmm. like in the beginning we had individual bike parts so basically a bike was made up from different wheels and transmission and gear and frame and all that stuff and um, so we never really had a big plan for it it was like okay, I think like, you, I think you, just, you just made it at some point then it was there yeah. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we realized we it gets too complicated so we kicked yeah. it out because the mm, the balancing so if you had like a different brake it felt so incremental the change to the brake before that mm -hmm. that like Just adding these kind of like tiny changes, we didn't really have a feel for it. Now we have these like different bikes you can get, and each bike feels very different than the other ones. Yeah, threw this whole system out and minimalized it. And I think it's the third or fourth iteration of the bike physics, so that yeah. also <coughs> went through multiple iterations. We had a completely different UI system at some point, so we completely mm -hmm. rewrote the UI system. Basically the whole game multiple times. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably hard to find something in the game which hasn't been rewritten at some point. Um, yeah. I mean, also the art style evolved over time. Like, if you look at, at old screenshots from the game, um, it looks completely different now. Well, not completely different, but you can see the... Or hopefully you can see how it evolved. Yeah, again, would... Would there be uh, something about those features you would have done differently? Like, I mean, you wouldn't not have done them probably, but do you think like in your process there's stuff you could do to prevent that kind of stuff? Or is it just you have to go down a certain path uh, to a certain degree and then just see what happens? We could have been, we could have spent a bit more time on, on planning features like the, the for the meta gameplay mm. um, that might have reduced some work. Mm. But I think iterations are important. I think you can cut out all the steps in between. Yeah. yeah. I also think we have this unique case where we don't have any references for the game. So it, we never started with, okay, we want to be like this game plus this mm. game, or we want to be a combination of these two games. There really wasn't anything out there which kind of applied to us. Yeah, I mean, we're not a typical racing game, we're not a typical sports game, so we always try to avoid some of these stereotypical features they have like um, and we also always tried not to make the game too big which we didn't succeed in but like we, we didn't want it to be like steep because we knew we had a Ubisoft that's a I don't know 150 person team who does such a game we cannot go in that direction it's hard I mean in hindsight it's easy to say I think at 
every point we, we made the best decision with the information we had at that point. Yeah, and it's definitely a good outcome. So you did a lot of stuff right. How quickly did you figure out then the core gameplay? As you said, there were, there were no games you could look at. Was the core gameplay and the, the win condition there really early or was it something you iterated a lot on during the process? I would say that was pretty early. Yeah, which I also think is, was one of the best parts of the production because we knew at an early point that the game is fun. Like we knew mm. that the core gameplay, you know, whatever we're, we're doing outside of it, the core gameplay was fun at some point and everyone told us that. And I mean, we made it easier over time and we rebalanced some things, but the core gameplay, I think we had that like at the beginning of 2017. So mm. Yeah, I think the first time we showed the game was in 2017. Providers, yeah. yeah. So in April. And um, people came to us, played the game, was like, well, that's almost, is it released yet? Yeah. Mm. We were like, can, oh, can I buy this in the store? And we were like, no, this is the first <laughs> prototype. Mm. Um, yeah, but that also gave us the confidence to, to keep on going, to yeah. uh, get funding and to spend all the, also our personal savings into the game. If we didn't have that feedback, uh, probably. And I think we, I mean, it was pretty polished already at the time. So we, we spent a lot of time polishing the prototype. Um, I mean, of course, there still happened a lot of things, but it still felt good. It already felt good. Yeah. Like it had a good, had a good lighting. It looked like it could have been the final game. And I think that was important because it was this like very solid foundation for the rest of the production. Yeah, I remember you, the first time you showed it to me on the, on the mobile phone. When the mobile phone got really hot, <laughs> like three years ago or so. And uh, already back then, it was just, even with an empty level and just some basic geometry, just mm -hmm. the feeling of the bike was already good. So that's, that's like a very mechanically driven game design approach you have. Is that important for you? Is that, is that con a conscious decision, kind of to chase the fun first and then build everything around it? I, I guess you could actually say that. I mean... It, Probably was the same approach for the two games before that. They were also like very focused on getting the the core mechanic first before venturing further. So, and I mean it's hard to say with only three games, but mm. um, I don't think you would be the people who would like create a big setting or world first without knowing what actually to do in there. Mm. Um, so Probably would, or at least me personally as a game designer, would have come more from a mechanical perspective. Okay, what can I do? What's the challenge? What's prohibiting me from reaching my goal? So it was, uh, you said, like three years in, in production uh, with um, substantial extension. Um, how was how straining was that to you? Like I guess, like usually that's financially a, a big problem but also mentally, so how, how did you perceive that time? Was it all fun and...? It was all fun and games. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, financially, the first year was tough because um, we didn't have the funding from Medium Board that took a while. Um, we had the Kickstarter, but we didn't have the money yet. And end of 2017 was... Yeah, yeah that... We both were pretty low on fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, it was okay from a financial perspective. Mm. I mean, we still get 
not really high salaries, but it's it's enough to to work on it relaxed. Yeah, but still, I mean, you have to say it like we. Um, I mean, we have a publisher, Thunderful, which joined the project in. 2018. 2018, yeah, I think shortly after Gamescom. Mm -hmm. um, and without them, I don't know, I think we wouldn't have been able to finish it on our own. Mm -hmm. um, and they were also very respectful partners. Like they, they knew what that we knew what we wanted to do, and they gave us the time and the freedom to actually finish the game. Yeah, it wouldn't have been possible without without finding an additional publisher even after the Kickstarter. Mm. Did you have to crunch a lot towards the end or in the middle or um, like how was your work-life balance? <laughs> I think we, it, feel, it felt at least like we crunched a lot, um, at least at the end, I mean definitely at the end. So because then you have like all these console submission deadlines and marketing deadlines mm. and the keys have to go out two or three weeks before you actually can release the game, so mm. there's this whole, there's all the stuff you have to do. And it's hard to move around yeah. those dates. And, and you have this kind of like mystical, okay, you're not allowed to release a game after October deadline, because after October till, I don't know, February, everything is shit, or like you shouldn't release a game in this time frame if you're not a big publisher if you don't have a big IP. So it was always like, okay, if we don't make it until the end of October, we have to wait for another four months till mm. we can actually release the game. And uh, we didn't want to do that from a financial as well as from a mental perspective. Um, we had this really strict deadline and that meant a lot of crunch for us in the end. Um, Did it, um, I mean, the crunch was negative. But the fact that you had kind of these milestones also during like the Kickstarter and, and Gamescom and all these event shows, yeah. did that help you a lot with scoping the game and like deciding, okay, this can go into the game, this can't because there's just not enough time? Like, did that facilitate those discussions when you talk about like which features to still do or? I'm not really sure we learned anything. <laughs> um, well, the good thing is that we, with the milestones, we had to focus on features which had to be finished to a certain degree. Mm. So we always had a had a running version. We never had like building big features over a month without testing them really or bringing mm, them yeah. into the game. I mean, we threw away a lot of kind of planned features over time. So like we we wanted to do a ghost system which went overboard, or we had this idea for all these different kind of animals which never made it into the game. We did streamline the game at the end, which was okay because it, we never really felt like we we need these features to be successful. They were more like nice to have features, or and nowadays it's always very tempting to just say, yeah, we patched that in, or mm. it will be an update, or it will come in a DLC, because everything is just kind of games as a service thing anyway. So you mm. know you have to keep working on the game, or at least if it's successful, then you want to keep working on it. So it mm. is very easy to just push features into this kind of... Yeah, we, we will do it when the game is successful. Um. So you talked about uh, Thunderful, your publisher, which is also the, our publisher from Machine Mensch. Yeah. So how did, you, how did you meet Thunderful? Did you pitch to a lot of um, publishers or did you go to events to meet with them or did you pitch directly? 
um, we met Ed, um, so the head of the studio, head of, publish head of publishing, head I think is the official title, um, at Indigo. It's a very small Dutch games festival, which took place in a prison at that time, which was very nice. <laughs> uh, but it's actually a very small thing. I think it's only a day. Um, we went there after Unite in Amsterdam. And then we just met him, I think, outside. Well, like in every, he was a Nintendo at that time. So it was just a discussion between people who probably don't or would not work, work together. Um, and at some point, we met him again at the Amaze Festival, and that was where we knew that he will change his position working at Thunderful. And because he already liked the game way back then, he offered, he said, hey, you guys want to talk, like, we still don't have a publisher, um, we have this newly found publisher, we're looking for our first big title, would you guys be interested in talking? And then it actually happened pretty quickly because we liked each other, um, contact-wise, everything was fine, they believed in the game. Um, we knew that they were a team like motivated to actually do something new. So they, I mean, if you talk with a lot of other publishers, if you look at their portfolio, you either ask yourself, okay, like, what's the, like, how much does their portfolio help me? Like, okay, they might be a big, big publisher, but they only have like successful RPG titles. So how does this help my? little racing sports game or on the other hand like okay if they sign our cement team but they actually have way bigger teams in their portfolio or running like then we are like this, this the least important team in their portfolio so you kind of look for a balance in in this partnership you want someone to be involved and you also want that your project is important for them hmm. and if, at least i felt that this was right with Sander for the time And we talked to a lot of publishers before, basically before our Kickstarter, but that never really felt completely right. Mm. And then we decided to do the Kickstarter, and at that point, most most of the publishers were, uh, wait, okay, we wait, we we'll see what how the Kickstarter goes, and maybe we can talk again. Then. But yeah, after that, we didn't really feel the need to talk to publishers mm. until we met Ed again. Yeah. yeah, we never actively reached out to publishers, so it was mm. always more like an opportunity meeting people at events uh, or people reaching out to us. So these events, you already said, they were important for proving kind of your, your game design and uh, they also seem to be important for networking. So do you, what do you think about events like um, professional events which are like developer-focused or public trade shows? What's, what's your opinion? Are they worth it? Do you go... To a lot of them? Well, public events are definitely more demanding, mm. um, but also also a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think they are super important. Also, when we, we just talked about the, the publishing, um, we get so much feedback and so much help from other developers. We know from those events, for example. Um, so basically deciding if we want to go with the publisher or not, what are the contract uh, details we should Yeah, um, look out for. That's it's always it's good to know other people in mm. the same situation, and those events are perfect to get to know them. Yeah, yeah I think I think we just checked that we went to I think 14 game events over the last years. Wow. Um, 
so we, we really did a lot of them. But I think also that was actually what, what made it worth it, is that if you keep on, if you continue going to these events, you meet people again. Right. And that's the point where some kind of friendship or trust is formed. I think if you only go to an event once mm. and you like you think like, okay, everyone will be interested in my project, I think you should build these relationships up before. Like, I don't know who said that, but like this, you shouldn't start building your network when you need it. You right. should actually start building it before you, you want something from them. Mm. So I think going to a lot of events, meeting developers, um, being there, just being nice and helpful, is the point where at some point later you might need their help and then they are there for you. So, right. um, yeah, I think if you if you go once to Gamescom and you expect that it will be the biggest business thing of all times, then you're wrong. Like you have to go to all these things mm. and then at some point it will make sense. Okay, give us, um, tell us your favorite event. That's maybe like a, like not super well known, but that you are really fond of that you found very useful for yourself? I mean, for me, it's definitely Ludicious is one of them. Maybe mm -hmm. also because it was the, for the moment where we decided to go all in with Lonely Mountains. Um, but just in general, it's a, it's a very nice event. Mm. It's in Zurich in, in Switzerland, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it moved from, from being in the winter to now uh, being uh, in the yeah, summer, I right? Think it's, yeah, I think it's now April or May or something like that. Yeah, and it used to be in, in January. Um, February, I don't know, but it was it was it was cold. It was really really cold. Um, I really enjoyed Unite, mm -hmm. back in Amsterdam. Um, I don't know. I haven't been here in Berlin, but I didn't hear that good. <laughs> it was uh, different. But in Amsterdam was yes. really nice. Um, the whole atmosphere was nice. Um, yeah, pretty relaxed. Awesome food. <laughs> yeah. mm. I mean, Day of the Death is pretty impressive. At least if you're if you're a European developer. And then you're meeting like this this concentrated American indie scene, and you just you realize like how much you have to learn, and also the kind of networks these people have. Like if you're if you're going there, and then everything is sponsored by Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo, and this kind of like oh yeah, my friend works at Apple, and yeah, my my ex uh, colleague is now lead programmer at Valve, and all these things. Hmm. So. Um, Day after death was one of the points where I felt really small as a, as a developer, um, but it was also very impressive. So your game is out, right? You released it. Mm -hmm. um, are you happy with the reception? The reviews are very good, I have to say. Yeah. And it's also a lot of fun. Absolutely. Yeah, feedback is amazing. Um, we got nominated for IGF now. Um, we won the German Developer Award Best Indie Game. No, I think it's. Um, I mean, it's. It's so much more bigger and successful than I ever imagined it when we started it because I mean it started as just kind of like mobile game, and then yeah the Kickstarter and everything so it's yeah I'm I'm pretty happy with how everything turned out. Um, let's see what the next step is now. All right, yeah, thanks. You, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It was really interesting. Uh, since you are in Saftladen, <laughs> in the same space as us, yeah. I guess this won't, won't be the last. <laughs> this won't be the last opportunity. I hope. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for having us. And that concludes the interview with Megagon Industries. Find more about them at megagonindustries.com. 
Thank you so much for listening to this first episode. For feedback about this episode or guest recommendations, please send an email to podcast at codex.io. If you're looking to improve your work process, please check out Codex, our playful project management tool for game developers made by game developers. It's free to trial. And if you sign up via codex.io slash we love podcasts, you will get extra credits. Thank you so much and until next time.